Hello, I'm Joyce Harper, and this is the second episode of my new podcast, Why Didn't Anyone Tell Me This? And with my guests on my podcast, we are going to be discussing some health issues, questions you may have about your health, and debunking some of the many myths about our health. Now, it's an absolute pleasure for episode two to have my very special guest, Jessica Hepburn. And we are going to talk about turning life into an adventure. And I've known Jessica for many years, and she's had a profound effect on my personal and professional life. And we'll be discussing how she has affected that through this podcast. And I think you're going to find this podcast very motivating. And it's going to be in two parts. We're going to talk about fertility and infertility and then talk about adventure. So Jessica is an award-winning author, arts producer and adventure activist. In 2022, she became the first woman in the world to complete the Sea Street Summit Challenge. So she swam the channel, she ran the London Marathon, and she climbed Mount Everest, <laughs> all of which were unfortunately inspired by her own journey through infertility and IVF. And she is the author of two books that we shall be talking about today, The Pursuit of Motherhood and 21 Miles. So I want to hand over to Jessica, but before I do, I just want to say a few words about fertility and infertility. So I went through seven years of infertility to have my children. And it's something that a lot of people do not have the courage to speak about. And Jessica was one of the first women I ever met who was very, very open about her fertility journey. And I am sure through her work she did on her fertility, fertility journey, and I'm going, we'll talk about her setting up a wonderful program called Fertility Fest. And through her work and her books, I think she has helped many, many couples and women going through fertility treatment to feel that they're not alone and to get reassurance from her words. So her first book, In Pursuit of Motherhood, is very raw and very honest, and it made me cry. And through this, Jessica brings up so many topics of infertility and miscarriage, biochemical and ectopic pregnancies. And being someone who works in this field, I think it is absolutely essential for anyone working infertility. So the embryologists, the clinicians, the nurses to read this book and understand what it's like to go through this. I know that we send our patients away with their drugs and their prescriptions and we see them and we just see the tip of the iceberg. And I can remember someone saying to me when I had a failed cycle, why are you crying? I was like, don't, don't they understand what we're going through? And Jessica's book really, really does cover this. And it, I think it's essential reading. So I'm going to hand over to Jessica. Jessica, very much welcome. Be your first guest on your podcast. Um, such a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Thank oh, you for that amazing introduction as well. Yeah. Absolute pleasure. So let's start by talking about your fertility journey and what you went through for many, yeah. many years. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I always say that it started when I was 34, um, which was a very long time ago now. <laughs> um, and uh, Basically, my partner and I made the decision 
to start to try for a family. We thought that was the hard decision. You know, I had an amazing job um, and was trying to sort of work out the perfect moment to throw away the contraception. And we said, right, let's do it. And then we thought we'd get pregnant immediately. And we didn't. Um, and I mean, to cut a very long story short, and we can go and we might go into some more detail. It was the start of what became a sort of decade long struggle to conceive. Um, after about a year, we went to our first uh, fertility clinic. We were diagnosed with unexplained infertility, which is a diagnosis that you will know well, Joyce, but actually isn't a diagnosis um, because it it means that you know everything looks like it's working properly and can't really work out what's what, what's not happening. And I then started going through IVF treatment um, and and, uh, and you refer to some of the things talked about in my book. I went through sort of multiple um, miscarriages, early miscarriages, one that was um, later and also an ectopic pregnancy, a perfect baby, but in the wrong place in, in my stomach, not my womb. Um, and yeah, and, and my first book, The Pursuit of Motherhood, is the, is the story of that journey. Um, I was so, like many couples struggling to conceive, I was so secretive and private about what I was going through. Not even my sort of closest family and friends knew. Um, and uh, you know, I think that was for a whole range of reasons, but I think there's a lot of shame tied up with um, an infertility diagnosis and unsuccessful IVF in that, you know, I certainly felt like I wasn't a proper woman. I couldn't do what every other woman found so easy to do. I also, I speak about this a lot. I I had an amazing job. I ran a big theatre in West London and, you know, I, I was really conscious that women coming before us have fought for so long to be seen as more than wives and mothers um, and to have careers. Um, and that somehow, like, I, I I was sort of saying, well, this isn't enough, you know. If I can't be a mother, um, I'm, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to um, be able to ever be happy. And I, I felt a lot of shame about that. But I also felt that, um, you know, there wasn't enough dialogue. There were some things I wanted to change about the world of fertility. And that that's, I wrote my book and it was a big decision to publish it. Um, but I, especially under my own name and not a pseudonym, but I did. And yeah, my life totally transformed as a result. And, and, and it's really interesting when you were giving your introduction, because you said that I'm, unfortunately her IVF journey led her to do all these other things and you're absolutely right it is unfortunately there's you know it, it's a sad hard journey for me and anyone going through it but it has led to many incredible things that would never have happened in my life if I hadn't been through it so I don't regret it I don't regret it at all yeah, I, th I thought when I said that word, unfortunately, I almost stumbled over it. And I thought, well, you it, you, ha you are someone who has turned a negative situation into something really positive. And I think you were the first one that I really saw do that. And, and that has resonated with me. And it's something I've said 
to so many people, you can turn, and I think you can turn probably almost any negative situation into something positive as, yeah, as you have. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's sort of my wider message now, you know, like, like my work in the world. Well, I, well, for a start, I never intended my work in the world to be what I'm doing. Right. And it has come out of my um, my infertility. But um, and, and to begin with my campaigning, my activism, because I describe myself as an adventure activist, it was very much focused around fertility and infertility. But but now I, I'm trying to reach, you know, um, a broader range of people with a with with that message, which is like we and you know we might come on to talk about this more. But like everyone has like sad stuff in their life. This is what it means to be human. And our job, if we if we choose, or our challenge, if we choose to take it, is to try and turn that into something positive for ourselves and other people. And that is what I wake up every single day to try and do. And, and what I love about you, one of the many things I love about you is your positivity. <clears throat> and I'm, I'm a very positive person too. And I, I just, I just think you, know, you are so motivational. And that's the, one of the reasons I wanted you as, as my first guest without any hesitation. Yeah, bless you. Joyce, but I would also say, and I, I really mean this profoundly, I, I am a positive person, but I do have to work on that. I'm also a profoundly sad person. And, you know, one of the things, I mean, as you know, I get interviewed a lot and, um, you know, people, you know, often people say, oh, when did you, when did you get over the, the fact that you weren't going to be able to be a mother? And I, I, like, I always say, like, I'm never getting over it. Like I carry it in my rucksack every single day and every single, and, and you know, the other thing is that, um, following 11 rounds of unsuccessful IVF. I don't know if we mentioned that terrible number. I went through 11 rounds of unsuccessful IVF. Oh yeah, I might have missed that bit out. Um, and, um, uh, but my partner and I, you know, we ended up separating. And, you know, one thing that people always ask is, did you, did you separate? Because, well, actually I haven't spoken about it very much publicly, but, um, you know, when people do ask me, I'm honest. And, um, and when they say, was it because of the IVF? I always say, no, you know, there's multiple reasons why relationships break down. But, um, but, you know, that has been a really, really hard thing to come to terms with, to get beyond. So, so like, life is always throwing us like sad stuff and challenges and I just go back to this sort of core which is that I try to turn it into something good I think in the in the book I was really struck um how you were so honest about in one of the arguments with Peter when you threw something at him I just thought I just thought that was such a really important point to make because you I think you really it really came across in the book um, what he was dealing with as well, even if yeah. it was through your words. Um, and, and then all the things you did to try and get through it. And when you wanted to give up and how he was really there by your side. And he, he really was. He, he came, I just wanted to give both of you a big hug when I finished the book, but yeah. you know, he, he was really there, but you did bring up how hard it was for any couple and you brought the ups and the downs. Yeah. And I thought that was amazingly honest. And I do think that's what's one of the really, I mean, obviously not everyone is going through um, a fertility journey, whether that's um, 
uh, with assisted uh, conception with with a partner. I mean, you know, obviously we have to recognize that people are doing it in different ways. But um, I think one of the hard things about it, well, certainly for us, is that like, well, two two hard things in that, you know, it's not you're not just dealing with your body and 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 your um eggs uh, you're dealing with somebody else like another person's body and their sperm and also you're dealing with two lots of emotions and and i wanted to convey in my book that like there was there was a lot and there remains a lot of love in our relationship you know but there were also some deeply dark and difficult times and I, I don't think that we're alone in that, you know, I really don't. And and I wanted to convey that, yeah. And I think that's why the book touched many people, you know. It also, um, it sort of also, and I didn't even know I was doing it at the time because the truth is, you know, like actually I wanted to say my book, my my first book, The Pursuit of Motherhood, didn't, it came out in February, this, you know, like this, this, you know, in the next sort of week, nine years ago, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's just like a long time ago now. And, you know, like, and, you know, I think the dialogue around fertility, and hopefully I've played a small, small part in that, and you've played a massive part in that, has really transformed, you know, over the last decade. But like, I stumbled on some things in writing the book that, you know, maybe I did say sort of publicly first that just, I didn't even realize was such universal experiences when I wrote them, you know, and I think like a really big, big thing in that um, was this, I was describing, you know, when you're in the hell of struggling to conceive and everyone around you seems to be pregnant, right? Uh, Or getting pregnant. And you never know, like when you're younger, you're not like, you never noticed these pregnant people before. And now suddenly, um, you know, everyone around you and your closest friends and family are getting pregnant. And there's that terrible moment when you, someone tells you that they're pregnant or you look at them and you just think, I know they're pregnant. And it's that feeling of feeling sad for yourself because you're not and you want it so badly and happy for the other person. Um, and there's no word in the English language to describe that feeling. And so I sort of coined this word. I mean, subsequently, after I, I wrote about the feeling in my first book, but I subsequently coined, coined the word melanjoy, which is like a fusion of melancholy and joy. Um, and I just think like that is one of the reasons why the like the book had such sort of traction because it did identify some of these feelings that hadn't perhaps been expressed publicly before that are universal I think in terms of struggling to conceive anyway oh brilliant brilliant and you you set up a fabulous project fertility fest which I was so privileged to be involved with and um I'll let you I'll let you tell everyone about fertility fest yeah, well, I, as I said, I mean, before um, my fertility story became my life and work, um, you know, I worked in the arts. I ran a theatre in West London called the Lyric Hammersmith. I ran it for 10 years. Um, it was at the tail end of, and all that time I was sort of going, you know, I would say that publicly I was a successful career woman and privately I was on this desperate mission to become a mother. And and then at the tail end of that, in my early 40s, my first book came out and then I left the lyric um and I set up this 
arts festival, um, which was dedicated to all aspects of making and not making babies in the modern world. Um, and yes, it was called Fertility Fest. Um, and the first, um, and it, it ended up being a sort of what, a three year project and it sort of reached its culmination in 2019 um, at the Barbican. Um, we had a, like a month long uh, program of arts activities about everything from, you know, solo motherhood to the queer family to when IVF doesn't work to donation, all aspects of making babies in the modern world. And it was a combination of artists, theatre makers, choreographers, musicians, visual artists, writers with um, fertility professionals such as yourself, which is yeah, why you were involved, and I'm so delighted you were. And, um, you know, we, at the centerpiece of that last festival was this um, amazing show on the Barbican main stage with the phenomenal actress Maxine Peake. And I'm just so proud. And I, I think nothing like that had really been done before. And, um, and I just sort of feel it, it spawned a lot of activities subsequently. And, it, it had its moment and I, I wanted to move on personally to do other things. So, yeah, but it was, uh, I think, you know, people still talk to me about it, write to me about it. I, I just, yeah, it's, um, it was an extraordinary thing. It, it was an extraordinary thing. Um, I, I remember crying a lot um, yeah. through the, the time I worked with you on, on this and met many of the artists who many of them had their own fertility journey and yeah. were working it through, through that art and expressing it. And it was, it was amazing. We met so many wonderful people. You introduced me to so many wonderful people. And I, I really thank, thank you for that. So before we move on to your wonderful adventures, have you heard, I know you have heard people yeah. say, especially around fertility, why didn't anyone tell me this? So what sort yeah. of things have they asked you? Well, you gave me a little bit of a heads up on these questions and I'm, on these sort of the, the questions you're about to ask me. So it's really great. That I've had an opportunity to think about them. Um, and I think on this question, Joyce, the thing that I would say, I mean, just very simply, I hear over and over again, largely from young women who might be interviewing me or um, uh, like approaching me for whatever reason around my fertility work is, why, when we're in school, do we get taught all about how not to get pregnant? Why do we not get taught enough about how to get pregnant? So I, and I know that's something that you really share. So I think that that would be, why didn't anyone tell me this? Why didn't anyone tell me how to get pregnant? Well, from the work that came out of Fertility Fest, for me, one of the things was to start my school project, which I worked on for about the last five, six years. But, but it absolutely came out with with meeting you and meeting some other people. And we, we have now produced a teaching guide, uh, PowerPoint and guide for teachers, which will be freely available through the International Fertility Education Initiative, which you've um, been involved with the UK group. And we're very, very excited now. But But Jessica, that came out of the work with you. Um, you know, all those things I'm doing around fertility education, they, I really don't know whether they'd have happened if we hadn't been sitting in many different venues at Fertility Fest and doing that great work. So it, re it really did come out of that. So thank you so much for stimulating. So we are, we are, <clears throat> we're, we're almost there. We are empowering teachers 
with the information, any resources. We're going to make lots of resources in the next few years to help them deliver this in, in schools. Um, have there been any myths that you've come across? Yeah, I mean, I think I think for a long time there was this myth, and I do think this is changing now because there is much more in the public arena. I think that there was this myth that IVF is a magic bullet um, and that you just have IVF and, like, if you can't conceive naturally, have IVF and uh, then you'll, you, you know, it will work. And one of the things that I really wanted to communicate is something that isn't said so much, but something I feel passionately about, which is that I think IVF is now still, even if people don't regard it as a magic bullet, it's still sort of largely seen as a one cycle treatment. And I really feel that it shouldn't be. It should be seen as a three cycle treatment or whatever the latest NICE guidelines are about the number of IVF cycles that people should be offered ideally on the NHS um, because it because it does work, but sometimes you have to go through it more than once. And I I for it to work because and so I think if people entered into the process of IVF, um, thinking, you know, it's not all about this one cycle. It's about what my outcome is at the end of three cycles, say, then that would help manage. There, the emotional impact when you have a failed cycle. Um, because I think what happens is you sort of think, right, we're finally on the IVF train, it's going to work. And then when it doesn't work the first time, it's sort of totally, um, yeah, obviously devastates people. Um, so so that that's something that, yeah, I think um, would be great to change. And, mm. and just as a final sort of thing about myths, you know, there's the other obvious one, you, you know, we, we still see, and I, I totally respect everyone's privacy around their fertility journey, but we still see all these Hollywood stars getting pregnant in their late 40s, even 50s, um, and they don't necessarily say how many cycles of treatment that they had to go through or whether they use donation or uh, surrogacy and what the costs of that might have been and um, I think, yeah, that's something that I would want to communicate that, yeah, you know, like, actually, there are many routes to parenthood. And I, I really, really believe that if you want to be a parent, it's possible, but you need to understand what all those routes involve. And that's where the education piece is absolutely key. That, that, was, that was perfect. I couldn't have put that better myself. That was wonderful. So... Let's now move on about your adventures. So how you've turned life into an adventure. So your second book, 21 Miles, it's an inspiring chronicle of your journey to swim the channel, which you wanted to do at breaststroke at one point, which I just love. And I will do a spoiler. You you did. You succeeded. Um, <laughs> and I think there's two parts of the book. I think I, I definitely wanted to speak about physically what it was like I and mean, you talked about the challenges you had and you know I, I really thought as I was reading it wow she's not going to do it she's not going to do it anyway but first um you et with 21 incredibly interesting women and asked them does motherhood make you happy which definitely is our bridge between your adventures and your fertility treatment oh, yeah. where yeah 
So, so tell us a bit about the the meals you had and and who surprised you or who did you learn from the most? Well, yeah, I mean, definitely twenty one miles. Um, you know, it, it is. I mean, all my books and my third book, which we might come on to, are, are sort of standalone. But they, you know, it in a way, uh, it was the second book because I'm coming out of treatment, and it starts with this moment where I go you know well I need to do something else with my life you know I've given this this decade of my life to Project Baby and yeah I decide that I'm going to swim the child uh, the channel which I knew nothing about and it, um, I describe it as like part childhood dream because I did like swimming when I was little um, and part midlife crisis um, but like I really wasn't a very good swimmer I hadn't done any open water swimming and I have to say that I, you know, it wasn't until I embarked on this journey that I realized how many parallels there were going to be going through IVF with going through IVF. Because, of course, you know, like swimming a sea and, do, and swimming the channel, you know, it's not it's not just a question of, you know, doing all the training and, and um, you know, the sea decides ultimately whether you're going to cross her and in the same way that nature decides whether you're going to conceive and carry a baby so that was sort of terrifying when I realized the parallels and these women that I met you know such um was another sort of layer to the story because I discovered the one redeeming thing it seemed to me about Swimming the channel when I learned what was involved is that um, you can't wear a wetsuit, right? So, well, that's not redeeming. That's terrifying because, it, you know, it's cold in there, especially if you're going to be in there for hours and hours and hours, which I then realized I was going to be. And so the only way to sort of keep out the cold is a bit of human padding. And uh, so I decided to write to these 21 inspirational women to ask them if they would meet and eat with me to help me get fat to swim the channel. And that sort of, I mean, I do sort of like now consider everything in my life as kind of an adventure. And in a way, my IVF years were my first like adventure. Um, and, and it was an adventure meeting these women. And um, yeah, I mean, it's so difficult to sort of like single any of them out because I know this like feels weird because um you know in a way it's like they're all my children or they're they're all my mothers it's like asking me who my favorite child is or who my favorite mother is to sort of stay on theme you know like they all gave me something that feels so important but um you know like a couple of um you know thing things that sort of maybe are relevant for now you know, like I was really, I was quite, um, I met the amazing lawyer, Fiona Shackleton, who uh, did um, the Charles and Diana divorce case, and also um, Paul McCartney and Heather Mills McCartney. And um, so she's like, and I, 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 the reason why I sort of wanted to meet her was because, um, you know, like, there's a sort of, a quiet backstory in 21 miles about my relationship is struggling. Yeah, it's not at the forefront of the book, but it's there. Um, and, um, 
And I sort of, and I think I was drawn to sort of, and often, you know, like that's what was happened. I was, I'd meet one woman and then that would lead me to sort of meet someone else or something was going on that made, I'd approach someone and, and nearly everyone I approached said yes. And what was really interesting about her is, um, that uh she wrote back to me and said i never i never meet anyone i never say yes to anybody um because you know obviously um people want to meet and ask her about confidential um information and she doesn't want to give it away but um she she said but you just sound your story is so extraordinary you know like you're running you run this theater and you've been through 11 rounds of IVF and now you're swimming the channel and you can't even really swim so I, and she was she's in the house of lords and we met at the house of lords and we had tea and she just force fed me and I, I, so I just and I just was I was so terrified about meeting her but her warmth just sort of blew me away um and and I think another person also just on the Lord's theme, I didn't actually meet her in the Lord's. I, I met her. She was actually the first woman I met, which was Baroness Professor Susan Greenfield, who's done all the work into Alzheimer's. Um, and I actually, she was actually, actually, she was the first person I met. Um, but I, she wouldn't meet me. She didn't have time to meet me. So we sort of met on the phone and, uh, and I sort of had a cup of coffee and a, something some sort of food you know in order to sort of meet the criteria of my meeting these women and I, I just remember her saying to me you know Jessica when I said about what makes you happy um she said doing something hard and achieving it that's what happiness is and and like that and that is um something that's really stuck with me and and actually you know um and just sort of yeah, some of their words, like going back to Fiona Shackleton. I don't know if you remember this chapter, Joyce, but like at the end of that, I mean, Fiona is a mother, but she was so mothering to me, even though that wasn't what I was really expecting of her because she's so formidable, that she sort of really made me think about this thing, which is that like mothering isn't just a noun, it's also a verb you know, and, um, and and made me sort of feel like, well, I might not be the noun, but I could be the verb. And, and in a way, like with my work, um, you know, my writing and Fertility Fest and everything I do now, you know, it's sort of trying to nurture, nurture the world, you know, putting the, those mothering instincts into the world in a different way. I mean, it's just so difficult to single it. I love all the women I met. It's impossible. But anyway, those are sort of two little anecdotes. That's that's wonderful. So so tell us about the channel. Um, it came across in your book that it was, you had a pretty hard time and you had many people telling you, you're not going to do it. You're not going to do it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. You know, how did you keep going and, and what was it actually like to swim the channel? Yeah, well, well, we might talk, I mean... I know you always credit me with inspiring you to be an open water swimmer, and I am looking forward to watching your channel journey, starting with the relay, which is hard, which is really hard. Um, and uh, who knows, Joyce, maybe a solo. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, as I say, like I went from a standing star, right, or a swimming star, in that um, I 
I wasn't an open water swimmer. And the first time I swam in water that was sort of under 16 degrees, uh, like, like I could barely manage 10 minutes, you know. Um, and, but it's like with any, um, it's like, it's like that thing. How do you, how do you eat an elephant in small pieces, right? You've got to work out like with, 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 if you want to take on a big challenge, whatever that looks like, it's working out what are the steps and, you know, being dedicated. And what was really, really hard for me was, um, was when I discovered, and we talked about this earlier, you know, I talked about this earlier about when I discovered that actually, even if I followed all the steps and did all the training um, and made myself a contender, and you're absolutely right, you know, a lot of people didn't think I was a contender um, for a long, long time, for a long, long time. Um, the, um, but that even if I did all that, I wasn't necessarily going to get across because something, the, you know, nature was in charge. But I did get across, yes, spoiler, and it was most incredible 18 hours of my life and the most difficult 18 hours of my life. But in in a way, it was a bit like my version of giving birth, you know, like 18 hours of pain, sickness, you know, terror, and then like euphoria that eclipsed all that. That's what I imagine giving birth is like. Well, I have my version of it. So like, I feel really blessed for that. Wow, that's that's amazing. Makes everyone want to go and swim the channel, or maybe not. <laughs> um, swim the channel, but like I do want to encourage everyone to go on an adventure, and you know, I definitely think everyone should, ex you know, try open water swimming. You know, you don't need to swim the channel. I mean, you know, you're you're doing loads of research around the benefits of cold water swimming, and you know, it's exploded. That you know, again, this is all I. I I'm always slightly ahead of the curve because I swam the channel in 2015 and started training in 2000, I don't know, 12, 13. And, um, you know, uh, there's just been such a massive explosion in open water swimming in the last few years, I think particularly since lockdown. And um, so, yeah, I, I, everyone should give it a go. Well, um, I, I think most people know that I do a lot of cold water swimming. I haven't missed a week for... Uh, the last two years um, and I I'd always dabbled but I became serious after having lunch with you quite a few oh. years ago and I literally went and stood in a lake that December um, the next week after having lunch with you so I absolutely credit you with my dedication to cold water swimming but you're right and I think of you as a real open water I mean I still I always describe myself as sort of an unlikely athlete or an unlikely channel swimmer or an unlikely Everest summiteer. We might come on to that. But, you know, like, um, you, I think of you as a proper one because you, you're part of a swimming community. I mean, I try and swim every single week, um, but I I just get in for a couple of minutes, you know, like, um, but or, or or in a pool for a few lengths. But like I think of you more as part of the open water swimming community than me now, definitely. <laughs> so um, would I be right to say that you wouldn't consider yourself a runner either, but then you ran the London Marathon? No, no, I, I'm not. Like, I'm, I'm essentially... <laughs> 
you know, like if you divide people in school into the arty ones and the sporty ones or the arty and the science, I suppose you, you would be the sciencey one. But like it, I just think back to school, my best friend was the sporty one and I was the arty one. And I didn't do anything. I mean, I occasionally, if I felt like, you know, I wanted to lose a bit of weight, um, I would join a gym and like go enthusiastic, you know, especially in January, you know, like as we are now, you know, I'll go enthusiastically and then soon give up because, you know, I hated gyms, still hate gyms. So like, no, I wasn't a swimmer. I wasn't a runner. I wasn't a mountaineer. All this stuff has come out of a decade of fertility treatment. Um, but yeah, I ran the London Marathon um, after uh, a few years after um, I swam the channel. Um, I ran it for Fertility Network UK, the national charity. Um, and it was an amazing experience. I mean, and, and in some ways it's easier than the channel. And I mean, none of this stuff is easy, right? None, none of these endurance challenges are easy. But in some ways it's easier than, say, the, the sea or mountains because um, a road marathon, you know, like, if you, and, you know, if you start it and you carry on, you can get to the end, you know, unless you get injured or um, whereas with the sea and the mountains, you know, like you are very, very dependent on the environment as to whether you succeed your channel, your, your challenge. But, um, but what I found particularly hard about running is I really hate getting out of breath. Um, so, uh, and speed is just like, I can do slow and I can go on forever, but like speed is is not my forte in any way so um yeah it was a real challenge now now let's move on to everest because i think of all your adventures this is probably for me seeing your blogs about this it was the most scariest and it, yeah. took, it did take two goes but what what was it like yeah what was it like i mean how do i answer that in a sentence i mean like it was it's been a six-year journey to get to the top of the world in many ways i mean there's nothing sing i would say there's nothing singularly harder than getting into cold water with no clothes on no wetsuit and swimming for 18 hours which is sort of what my channel swim was because you know like at least on mountains you can wear clothes right i never felt cold um but it was hard. It's probably the hardest thing I've done for me because um, I was older, you know, like, and, and, and whilst I'm a massive advocate for doing things at any age, and I don't think age is an excuse, it is an explanation for why it gets harder to do these huge physical challenges. Um, you know, I, I, in well, essentially climbing Everest, I, I climbed when I was 51. So, um, and also there are so many other aspects to climbing mountains, not just the actual physical challenge, physical mental challenge of it. Um, there's also all the sort of technical aspects of it, whether that's sort of climbing with ropes and crampons. I mean, like I didn't even know what a crampon was a few years ago, right? Um, and, uh, uh, yeah. And so, and yes, I, you're right. I mean, I, I felt very, very 
privileged that I managed to cross the channel the first time I attempted it. But with Everest, I was originally supposed to go in 2020 um, and then the mountain was shut due to COVID. And then I did go in 21 and had a non-summit. And then I did go in 2022 and summited, but I had a very, very traumatic time on the mountain um, and uh, not time to go into now. And it's explored much more in my new book, but um I uh, I broke my leg on the way down from the summit in the death zone uh, over 8,000 meters where there's no helicopter rescue. And I think all I need to say is that is not a good scenario. <laughs> I have my own touching the void. If you've read the book or know the film, I had my own touching the void moment up there. But like, I also sort of really believe, you know, in that thing, which is, these challenges, the things that happen to us come to us for a reason and you got to turn it into something positive and I hope I've done that, yeah. And you you mentioned book number three, so this is coming out in spring 2024. Yeah. And I just want to make a plug now, but it will be in, in the information on the, on the notes on the podcast, but you have a website, jessicaepburn.com, and all of your information, your adventures, your books, etc. And so your new book will be up there very, very soon. So so are you able to tell us a little bit about the new book? Yeah. Well, um, it's the third book, my third book, um, and I came down from Everest. I wrote it over the summer. Um, I'm seeing it as a sort of, it's totally standalone, but in a way it's like the third in a trilogy. So it's the last book I'm intending to write, certainly anytime soon, maybe ever, as me as the central narrator. So it's about my sort of story, my adventure, um, and it and and it is about my adventure to climb Everest. But um, but it's also, and this is the thing that I don't think I've told you yet, Joyce. I don't think I have because I haven't said it to too many people. But now it's written and it's coming out. I can start to talk about it a little bit more publicly. Is that I decided whilst I was training for Everest to take on another. Um, challenge or adventure that I feel much more suited to, which is that I decided to listen to every single episode of my favorite um, radio show turned podcast, which is Desert Island Discs. So it's um, the, it, so it's essentially a book about music and mountains and me. Um, and uh, I hope, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it reaching the world. And yeah. 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 And also the other really exciting thing is my first two books have just been optioned for film. Um, so who knows? We might have a book and a film coming to the world soon. <laughs> Fantastic, Jessica. That's that's amazing news. So we've heard about your amazing adventures. So can you tell us what motivates you? Well, <laughs> um, I'm sort of motivated by mortality, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like, I am someone, I mean, not, not just because of what I went through in my 30s with my IVF journey. I think even from a very young age, I was someone who thought about death every day. And I'm, I'm, I'm laughing, I'm laughing saying that because I know that sounds weird, but on the other hand, I've listened to over 3,000 episodes of Desert Island Disc and I know that I am not the only person. Um, so, um, the, yeah, because, you know, I've been fueled by the wisdom of the most extraordinary people. So, um, 
yeah, I I am very motivated by mortality about like we're only here for a tiny amount of time and you know I want to get up and achieve as much with my tiny amount of time as possible every single day and um you know like one of the quotes that I absolutely live by is by the Japanese writer Kazu Ishiguro which is there is another life I might have had but I am having this one and he wrote it about the fact that he was born in Japan, he's Japanese, and then he came to the UK as a young boy. And he's saying that if he'd stayed in Japan, you know, his life might have looked very different. And I and I sort of feel like, well, if I'd had a family, my life would look very different. But I didn't have a family. I'm having this life. And it's, and it's not necessarily a life that I would prefer or that the life I wanted, but it is an amazing life. And I'm going to do my damnedest to make it the biggest, bestest life that I can in this short time I've got on the planet. And that's what motivates me. I, I love it. I mean, I, I do, I think about death a lot. And, um, you know, now being the wrong side of 60, I think we haven't got much time left and we need to do everything now. I keep saying to people, don't put things off, do it now because we are almost dead. Yeah, I know that yeah, sounds morbid, yeah. but I'm with you on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. No, absolutely. So, on, on that morbid note, let's talk about what makes you happy, and where have you got a happy place? And if so, where is it? My happy place is on the sofa with food, booze, and a box set. Um, I, I say it, and I, I absolutely mean it. Food is my religion. The reason why I've taken on these challenges, um, one of the like fundamental reasons I went from swimming the channel to running the marathon to climbing Everest is because it's a license to eat. <laughs> and and, eat, and food brings me joy. Um, so that is my happy place. That's what makes you happy. <laughs> <laughs> so the very last question that I think we're going to get very different answers from different people but what advice would you give your younger self I think I would say to my younger self be braver sooner yeah I love that that's that's really really beautiful well Jessica, it's been a total pleasure. We haven't been too bad. We've, we've only just been over 45 minutes. We could, we talk a lot, you and I, don't we? So yeah, yeah. Um, that was absolutely inspirational and motivational. And I think, you know, our first part talking about infertility, I think it's so essential for anyone going through this to know that they're not alone, um, but also to know that even if you haven't had a fertility journey, we do have one life, as you say, and we've really got to make the most of it. And you have been, even though it's so great that you said your happy place is the sofa, because what I was going to say earlier is that you give everyone the incentive to get off the sofa <laughs> and go and do. I'm giving you the incentive to get off the sofa so you can get back on the sofa afterwards. <laughs> yes. I'm on the sofa right now, so I don't have to go very far. Um, but Jessica, thank you so much for being my first guest. I'm sure everyone's going to love listening to you talk about the amazing life you've had and learn a lot from you. And thank you very much. You're more than welcome, Joyce. It's been an honour.